Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Let's give God praise for our time of worship, and it's good to be together in His presence, and and I hope that you are enjoying God and His presence in your life, and let's Grab our Bibles and study Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians chapter 4, one simple verse in verse 28. And um, we are continuing our series of sermons we've called Foundations. Today we want to talk about, man, our family finances. Next week, man, we'll talk about the gift of singleness. So if you're here and you're single and you're like, Pastor, this has been rough. I, I understand. But your turn's next Sunday, all right? So, uh, so we're going to have a good time next week. And, um, and I want to encourage you just to invite those folks that... Uh, or in your life that, man, you want to see God do a great work in. And, and today we're going to talk about biblical financial stewardship. I, I do plan as a part of this today to give you an update on uh, some of our capital projects here at the church and, and show you how you can make a difference in a lot of these ministries and opportunities. But, but anytime we talk finances, I always like to start with this disclaimer because uh, often critics of church say, man, all the church ever talks about is money. Um, and, and that's just simply not true, all right? So if, if you kind of feel that way, like the church always talks about money, you know, I, I speak on money one to two times a year, and so here's the deal we'll make. I'll keep my rhythm if you pick up yours, all right? So if, if you're just here a couple times a year and you're like, man, you just always seem to like hit the Sundays on money, um, it's, it's one or two times a year, and uh, you ought to pick yours up. All right, so, uh, so, but you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the way we steward our resources. In the Gospels, 40% of Jesus' teaching related to money. When you study the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, you'll discover that the, in the non red letter verses, not what came out of Jesus' mouth, 40% about what came out of Jesus' mouth talked about how we handle our, our money, but, but in the non-red letter, the, the words that the gospel writers wrote to kind of help us understand what Jesus was speaking of, one out of 10 verses, one out of every 10 verses relate somehow to how we manage the money that God has given to us. And I, I believe this all in my heart, like your money is the greatest competitor for your heart. And the reason Jesus talked so much about money was because he was interested in who was controlling your heart. Like that's what Jesus did consistently and continually was he appealed to the hearts of men that they would surrender their hearts to him that they might know God. And so money being the number one competitor, he talked about it a lot. The the misuse of money causes many conflicts in our families. And so if we want to have a series of sermons about the foundation, the theological foundation of our homes, we, we got to include money. One story I read this week, or one study rather I read this week stated that, that 50%, 56% of divorces, 56% of divorces stem from some sort of conflict over finances. I mean, it's so over 50% of the marriages that fall apart somewhere in the reasoning for their divorce is, well, I don't like the way they spend money. So what can we learn and what are some 
biblical principles that we can drop into our hearts so that we can build our family financial system on the teachings of the Word of God. Stand with me and let's study together from Ephesians chapter 4, just one verse today. That'll help us understand God's heart for us when it comes to managing his resources. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the scripture says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. One simple verse from the Apostle Paul about how we handle our finances. So, so Paul's writing the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, if you remember. Ephesus was a I mean, culturally wicked place. And so in the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, just like he typically did in any of his letters, he would address it theologically. He would articulate a doctrinal truth that people needed to wrap their hearts around theologically. And then he would say, now let me show you how this fleshes out in everyday life. So we'd start and build this case from the scripture and then he'd go, all right, now let me apply it to the things you're dealing with in your life. And he did that to the church at Corinth. He did that to the church at Philippi. He did that here at Ephesus. He did it to the church in Colossae. Like he did it to Thessalonica. Like he did it to all these places so they would begin to understand like, like this is what God has said. Now here's how it applies. And in Ephesus, he was calling them not to live like the culture. He was calling them not to live like the world. And he said, if you're going to do that, like there's going to have to be some differences in your priorities. There's going to have to be some differences in your convictions. There's going to have to be some differences in the way you live. And as he's going through what these differences should be, he talks to them about how they steward their finances. So what are these three truths that we can see in this one verse to help us steward our finances well? First, we see that he calls the believers there in Ephesus to honest work. Honest work. You say, well, well, Pastor, of course he's calling them to honest work. Well, let me take you back to Ephesus. In in Ephesus, there was a, a lot of skilled laborers. There was a lot of kind of day workers. And what would happen many times is they would feel like they weren't necessarily cared for. Many of these skilled workers or day laborers would even be considered slaves. And so these slaves, it had become their practice, not really to ask whose it was, but just to take it anyway. And so they would actually steal from their boss or they'd steal from their owner. And they would, they would just take whatever they wanted to take. They weren't necessarily operating with a, as a person of integrity. They would do whatever they had to do, and they made themselves feel better about it because they didn't think they were treated fairly anyway. They, they would say things like, well, I, actually, I deserve this. And, and it was all in this sense of, like, my, my family is desperate. Like, I've got to take care of these. But yet, The commandment that God gave to Israel about not stealing still applied. And so Paul's going, hold on. It's not just that you work. The building block for biblical financial stewardship is that you do honest work. And so for us today, that plays itself out in many different ways. It's that, man, we're not in the gray area on the expense account. It plays out in so many ways. Like, hey, you know, we're we're not 
cutting corners and, and working things out to not pay our taxes. It's that we do what we say we will do. We don't go bid a job and mark it up. Like we, we, we say we're gonna, what we're gonna do and we operate with integrity, we show up on time, we work our full day, we don't cut out early, like it's honest work. Like we, we do everything and more that is required of us. You say, well, pastor, I don't really like my work. But I want you to understand today, the struggle in your work, you can't blame that on the Lord. You have to blame that upon sin. Because see, God created work before sin entered the world. In fact, at the very beginning, in Genesis chapter one, God was working. You say, how was God working? He was creating. When he created this place and he created this world, he, he, he legitimizes work that God put his hand to work in his created order. And then he marked humanity with his image. And so if we carry the image of God, we see legitimacy of work. And he not only created us in his image with legitimate opportunity to work, he gave Adam and Eve a job to cultivate and maintain the garden. Like he, he, he gave them work before sin entered the world in Genesis chapter three. That they were to rule. So they were to cultivate, they were to maintain, they were to rule. Cultivate simply means they were to foster growth and improve, preserve from failure or decline. They were, they were to exercise control and discipline. They were to administer, they were to take responsibility for, they were to make decisions. This sounds a lot like our work, does it not? I mean, most people just think I work one day a week. But I can promise you there's a lot more to pastoring there's a lot more to pastoring than just what you see here. Preaching is so much of what I do and yet so little of what I do. Just ask Bridget. Because there's things to administrate. There's things to improve. There's things to preserve from failure and decline. There's things to foster, to grow. There are things to take responsibility for that I didn't have anything to do with. But what honest work is, it's, it's applying these things that God called Adam to do before sin entered the world to whatever vocation you share. You say, what should my attitude towards my work be? It's found in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, that these things that God gave Adam to do are what our work should be, whether we apply that to a medical field, whether we apply that to educators, or whether we apply it to attorneys, whether we apply it to business owners, whether we apply it to homemakers, like whatever we apply this to, the principles remain. In the 15th century reformers, they begin to kind of call God's people to this understanding of work that they saw their occupation as their ministry before God. And so every one of us in this room and watching online today, we have a ministry. It's your occupation. It's what God's called you to do. And you should leverage your influence where you work to advance the mission of God. Because honest work is work unto the Lord. Listen to Colossians chapter three, verse 24, or 23 and 24. Scripture says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we will receive this inheritance from the Lord as our reward. 
understand it's a perspective change that I'm advocating for today. The reward of your work is not your paycheck. The reward of your work is received from God as you work unto the Lord. See, we see in this passage that we should be about honest work. We also see in this passage we should be about proper management. Proper management. Hey, the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he will have something. Like so many times when we hear messages about money, all we hear is the dangers of money and we can build this false perception that the scripture is anti-money. Hear me now. Like God is actually pro-money and he's pro you having money as long as you handle it with the right perspective that he's called you to in scripture. So God is not against you making money. God has given you the ability to make money. And friends, you should make all the money you, should, you can make. Like there's, there's no sense that like, you know, not taking a raise is somehow pleasing to God. The sense is how you steward that raise, God is very interested into because he's interested in what happens in your heart with that raise. You see, some folks say, well, I, just, I was just afraid it'd just go to my head and I, you know, my heart, what if you, instead of saying no to the extra, you said yes to the extra and deployed that in ministry somewhere? You see, it's, it's all about the perspective. It's not about what we have that is most important. It's about what God can do through us that is most important. And many times he's going to entrust you finances to properly manage, to test and see if your heart is even ready for more. Like he's, he's testing you to see will you protect your heart so that he can give you even more. Because God wants to bless you. God promises to bless you. But he calls you to be obedient to his ways if you're ever going to receive the full blessing from God. L listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, the scripture says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. He's speaking of Israel. And all these blessings shall come to you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall be, or blessed you shall be in the city. And blessed you shall be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in. Blessed shall be you when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord and they'll be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your ground within the land that God swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and bless all the work of your hands and you shall lend to many nations but not have to borrow. Like, 
Like this is God speaking to Israel. It's like, here's what I want to do for you. But look back in verse one of chapter 28 and understand that this was conditional upon their obedience to God and what he'd already done. See, proper management doesn't start with the accountant. Proper management starts with the obedience to God in your heart. And far too many of us, when it comes to our finances, we just think, am I doing what my accountant has said? And the question before that is, am I doing what my God has declared? Because if I want God to bless, I've got to live obedient to his ways. Or how about Proverbs 3, verse 9? The scripture says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting forth with wine. So he's like, if, then. Like honoring the Lord first. Like the first step of, of proper financial management is honoring the Lord. It's, it's doing it God's way. It's carrying out this obedience he called them to in Deuteronomy 28. Like my, my generosity unto the Lord is not what's left over, but it's the priority from the beginning. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7? The scripture says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so by having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Friends, my financial giving is not a burden to bear. It's a joy to participate in because it unlocks for me the blessings of heaven. Did you see 2 Corinthians 7? He's like, hey, like I'm going to give you more. I'm going to multiply so that you can continue to be generous. Or how about Malachi 3, verse 7? The scripture says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You, you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here we see this warning from the prophet, like robbing God always brings a curse. But obedience to God, particularly in the area of our finances, always brings a blessing. So the question is, what do you want in your financial home? A curse or a blessing? Like, what are you trying to do? Unlock the blessings of God for your family or manage what he's already done with the faucet of his blessing turned off? Let's just get super practical for a minute. Look, so according to these scriptures that I just read you, the starting place for proper biblical financial management starts with the tithe. I don't believe in any way we see New Testament evidence that Jesus kind of abandons the tithe. Some people would say, well, that's an Old Testament principle, not a New Testament one. When, when you study gospel giving in the New Testament, it's, it's well over 10%. But, but for many of us, we see the tithe as the 
end of our financial stewardship. And I think the perspective change we need to have is the tithe is not the end of our financial stewardship under the Lord. It's the beginning. Like it's the ABCs. Why is it the people in the gospels who would give would give such extravagant gifts? Because they understood it wasn't the, the tithe that was the end. It was the beginning of them being faithful unto the Lord. And so th this idea of storehouse tithing found in Malachi 3 is a principle that permeates all through the scripture. The, the storehouse in the Old Testament was the place that, that people would kind of pull their resources together to meet needs in the community. In the New Testament time, the scripture calls the church to be that place. Like the reason we gather today is to worship the Lord in spirit and truth, and then we mobilize ourselves into the community to make an impact and a difference, to help those in need, to proclaim the gospel, to disciple the saints, to give a home and a spiritual family to those new to our community, to inspire people to follow Jesus. Like that's this mission that God's called us to. And so it starts here with, with this idea of every one of us participating in tithing in 10% of our income. Look, man, some of us say, well, pastor, I just can't afford to tithe. Man, I can promise you from my experience, you can't afford not to tithe. Like, God can do more in your life when you're obedient to this starting point of tithing than you'll ever be able to do trying to steward all that you have. And and many of us today, we need to kind of change our perspective. Like, like, well, this is my money. It's not your money. It's God's money that he has entrusted to you. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything you have, you have received by the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And so it's not, well, this is my money and I want to live according to my money. This is God's money and he's called you to live according to his principles for managing his money. Now, now, some struggle because they're like, well, I just don't understand where all the money goes to. You hear me out. God holds the leaders of the church responsible for how the resources of the church are used. You can read about this in Titus and 1 Timothy. And what the church has done is it's put a lot of accountability and controls around the way things are spent but more than the accountability and controls of man, you need to have faith in God that he's going to do according to what he has said he would do in his word. And if money is being spent inappropriately, he would be the one, God would be the one that steps in and gets it right. And I can promise you this as your pastor. Every night when I go to bed, it's one of the things I'm thinking about. Man, are we stewarding the money God has entrusted to us faithfully, on purpose, and strategically to advance his mission. I think about it every night. I can't tell you that I sit around and wonder what the stewardship team thinks every night about the way we're spending money, because I fear God way more than I fear the stewardship team. But I'm thankful for the stewardship team, the way they inspect the way we do our money. You see the idea? Like, like this is God's money and it's God's work. One of the things I hear people say from time to time is they wanna make sure the church spends the members' money the way the members intended it. But if it's not the member's money, it's God's money, we better be more concerned are we spending God's money the way God intended for us to spend his money. And so we give unto the Lord because we're returning to God what he has given to us. After we tithe, we should save. 
And there, there are so many resources available to you to help you develop sufficient saving practices. You should be building emergency funds. You should be building college funds. You should have general savings for vacations and major purchases and other kind of big ticket items. And you should be talking with your spouse about what those levels should be. Like that was one of the things Bridget and I early in our marriage really struggled through. And I, I grew up the, the son of a pastor, a minister. And so like we didn't have a lot in savings. The Lord would always provide and we just kind of went there. Like her family kind of grew up in the business world and there was this expectations that there would be more there. And I was always like, man, look how much we got in savings. And she'd be like, it's not that much. <laughs> and I was like, we can go do all these things. And she's like, or we can put our kids through college. You see, in every relationship, there's a saver and there's a spender. And this guy's the spender. <laughs> but y'all got to talk about this. Did you be on the same page about like, what is the appropriate amount of money in savings? Like what makes everybody comfortable? And, and, and then you, you live on the rest. This, this idea of after I give to the Lord and after I tithe, I, I live on the, re on the rest. But I would argue today, this is where we mess up the most. Because we live at the end of the rest and we have no wiggle room. And so what happens as the rest begins to grow, it either eats into our savings or eats into our giving unto the Lord. And so what we must do is not live at the end of the rest, but live beneath our means, so to speak, so that we're free and ready to give, so that we have resources available to meet needs as they arrive. And there's so much more that I could say, but here's what I want to do this morning. Like, um, we have some wonderful men and women in our church who do a great job working with families through this conversation of proper management of the resources God has entrusted to them. So there's, there's two things you can do today. One, you can go out to the gathering space after the service, and they're going to be there, and they're just going to invite you to a four-week course that I think starts next week about how you can properly manage your finances, because there's so much more that I could say. Or if you want to kind of respond right now, you, you can text the word finance to 57158. And what that's going to do is we're going to connect you with those folks. So like our team will respond to you and we'll connect you with them. Y'all can have a phone conversation. You can have an in-person conversation. You can come to the, the meetings that are about to begin so that you can properly manage what God has given to you. But the principles here are 10% to the Lord. Then you save and y'all have got to decide what that is. And you live beneath the rest. What are these principles we see in this passage? It's honest work, it's proper management, and it's a heart to share. It's, it's a heart to share. Look, look at the passage. He's like, like, hey, um, don't steal. Labor, do honest work with your own hands so you'll have something to share with anyone in need. The, the purpose of the honest work is to earn, not to keep, but to share. Like, like see this, like the purpose for Paul, the distinction he was calling the church at Ephesus to was a distinction that's like, hey, like the, the reason for my work is so I can help people meet needs. So that I can be a part of what God is doing in the world. Like he was calling them not just to have biblical convictions about their money, he was calling them to change their mindset about their money. 
Like the conviction, work hard, earn money, manage it to share. But the mindset was a mindset change that says, I'm not earning this money to build bigger barns. I'm not earning this money to have a bigger reservoir, but I'm earning this money so that I can be a part of the mission of God. Like most of us, like we know the convictions that we should have about our money, but for some reason or another, we can't execute it. And and I believe the reason that we can know what the Bible says about money, but manage our money in a different way is because the enemy attacks our mindset. I mean, our enemy will say, well, it's really okay. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like the mindset, the enemy will say, well, well, God doesn't really care. Friends, for God to spend as much time as he has spent in the scripture on money, he cares. And he cares deeply because he understands it is revealing what's in your heart. So, so hear me today. The mindset change to a heart to share starts with the core conviction that all I need, I can find in Christ. Like this is the gospel message. Like you're never gonna be able to practice biblical financial stewardship if you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's in Christ that he promises to bless us. It's in and through Christ. Like we read that beautiful Deuteronomy passage about about God's chosen plan for Israel. I mean, he's like, man, I'm gonna pour out blessings on you. Like, understand for you and I today, like we receive all of that through Christ. Without Christ, like none of that is possible. We read in Deuteronomy 28. But through Christ, that's God's heart for every one of us as we're adopted into his family and engrafted in to his kingdom. And so it's through Christ, it's this core conviction that Christ will care for me, that Christ will satisfy me. Friends, money will never satisfy the cravings of your soul. That's what culture teaches us. It teaches us that if we just had more, then we'd finally be satisfied. But friends, that's not what the scripture says. What the scripture says is when you get more, you're just more of what you already are. And until we understand this and see this perspective change, we're never going to be able to understand how God wants us to manage our money. It's not you getting more of money. It's you getting more of Christ that will change your life. And this heart to share is a whole new perspective. More money in your bank account won't make you more generous, but more Jesus in your heart will make you ready to share. Listen to how the prophet Haggai wrote it in Haggai 1.6. The scripture says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, does so to put it in a bag with holes. Like he's speaking to people who are trying to get more, but not trying to get more of Christ. He's saying, like, this is what life is like when you just pursue your materialistic wants. You're never satisfied. He, he's teaching that stuff will never solve your problems. A, a research organization told us that the more a person makes, when you look at it on a percentage basis, the less they give. Why, why is that? It's because they're keeping up with their stuff. 
They're just trying to feed the monster they've created. And what I've observed in my life is, is that people without money, they give by faith. But people with money, they give based on what their accountant has said. And friends, Jesus is interested in the faith of your heart, not the instruction of your accountant. Like if your accountant's not saying to you, why are you giving away so much? You're probably not doing it right. Because it's the faith in your heart, not the leftover at the end. If your generosity is based upon what your accountant says you should give to lower your tax burden, there's a problem in your heart. But yet God has promised to bless. You see, the mindset shift that has to happen is out of a mindset of scarcity and into a mindset of blessing. A mindset of scarcity says it's all about you. You are the receiver of God's blessing. You are the reservoir of what God has said. And you're so afraid to give because you're like, but what if God doesn't give more? It's this scarcity mindset that keeps you trapped in bondage and in chains to what God has already done and you live in fear that God might not deliver. But friends, the best indicator of what God's gonna do in the future is what God's done in the past. And if he's blessed you before, if you'll walk in obedience, he'll bless you again because he is a God of blessing. And so this scarcity mindset is what keeps people enslaved. And so Paul here is calling the Ephesian believers away from a scarcity mindset that sees themselves as the end of God's blessing and the reservoir of God's blessing to a blessing mindset that sees themselves as the conduit of God's blessing. I promise you, friends, when you decide and determine to be a blessing, God will continue to bless you that you might be a blessing to others because this is what he's promised to do. Remember when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He said to Abraham, like, like, go from your country and your kindred in Genesis chapter 12, verse one. And from your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's like, hey, like you gotta step by faith. Like you gotta go into these things. Like I'm gonna show you like this place to go. And then he says in verse two that I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Like he's like, like the whole purpose, Abraham, of me building this great nation through you is so that you will be a blessing. It's the blessing mindset from the very beginning that I'll bless you to be a blessing, that we've been blessed to be a blessing. So don't trap yourself in this scarcity mindset that sees itself as the reservoir for God's blessings, that you're just trying to hoard it all in. Take up a blessing mindset. Live beneath your, your means so that you are ready to share Ephesians 4, 28. That you have the opportunity to give and you can participate in things that make an eternal impact. So look, like th the way this works out, you tithe, you save, you live, and you give. And there are so many places that you can give to. Like you can give to a nonprofit that you're passionate about. You, you, can, you can give to a specific ministry need in our community. And, and there's so many needs in our community and so many people doing such good work in our community. Like there, there are so many places you can give. At the church, we have opportunities for you. There are really two main opportunities for you to participate in your offering. One is in our missions offering. 
100% of our missions offering leaves this door. Like if you're giving in our missions offering, you can literally say your family is making an impact all over the world. Your family can have a ministry on which the sun never sets through the missions offering. And so like our family, what we do is every first thing happens, we get paid on Fridays and automatic draft happens on Monday for our tithe and our missions offering. Like we give in both of them. Now, we do it online. You say, well, Pastor, like I, don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with the online thing. I, I believe the Apostle Paul would have been very comfortable with the online thing. All right? So I can't prove that from Scripture, but like he, he used all kinds of creative means, and uh, it's amazing. Like I, I encourage you, automate your giving. If you feel like you just got to bring something to church to put in the silver boxes, write an, a, an, on a card, write a note that says, I give online and put it in the box. Like, it's fine. We'll keep it. Frame it. But, but that's, that's one way that you can give here. Another way you can give here is through our capital campaigns. Like that's an offering that's over and above your tithe. And, and it's a wonderful way because what you're doing when you're participating in our capital campaigns is, is you're investing locally through the church to continue its ministries. Hear me now. Nobody here is interested in big buildings, although we have big buildings. The only reason we have big buildings is because we've been entrusted with much. And, and so facilities are not the mission. It's, facilities are not the mission. Like nobody is go, walking around our church going, man, look at these buildings. If they're saying it, they're thinking about the expense it is to operate them all. But facilities facilitate the mission. And God has entrusted us with so much. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's harder to find a parking space than it's ever been. I don't know if you've noticed, but getting your kid in and out of kids ministry is like a 30 minute process because there's so many folks down there. Like, I don't know if you've noticed on Wednesday nights around here, but there's so many teenagers over in our student area. Frankly, it's not safe. And it smells horribly. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been so many people going to small groups in our church that we're out of small group space. And I'm sorry for those of you that are about to go meet in a closet. I tried to talk them into using my office, but they said, no, they'd rather have the closet. Weird. All right. So like, like we're out of space. I don't know if you've seen, but there's a waiting list so long for our Christian school that there's no way we could ever keep up. And listen to me while I'm here. Moms and dads. It's not about where your kid goes to school. It's about are they being equipped and trained with a biblical worldview. And so you can have your kids in public school. You can have your kids in private Christian school. You can homeschool. God's not, when you get to heaven, God's not going to have Friday night rallies where everybody wears their Letterman jacket. It doesn't say that in the scripture either, but I'm just assuming. But he is going to hold every parent responsible for how they develop the biblical worldview in their child. And you better be careful who's influencing your child for seven hours every day. But this isn't the parenting message. You see, there's so much need. And so let me just give you an update of where we are and show you how you can help us close some gaps. God has blessed tremendously, and, and we've received just over the past year, God's done incredible work. Just, just in the last year, our school has raised right at $3 million toward these projects. And the school's never done that before. And we praise the Lord for the generosity of so many families. You say, well, well tell me more about that. Well, he hear me. 50% uh, of our school goes to our church, which means 50% does not. 
And so most of that money that was raised, that $3 million, are people who do not come to church here but believe in the mission of Concord Christian School that are helping us pull the weight of the project. And look, man, like, if you've got your kids in another Christian school, like, I praise the Lord for that. There's, there's no competition in this. we got to get every kid trained with a biblical worldview, and you need to decide how to best do that for your family. But, but here, we're trying to steward faithfully and effectively what God has given in the school. And so they've raised about $3 million. The church has given uh, about $4.3 million in the last year to the project. And that's remarkable, church. Not only are we substantially over budget when it comes to the, the general ministry budget of the church, not only are we over budget when it comes to the missions budget of the church, over and above all of those things, you've given $4.3 million the last 12 months to the capital program. Unbelievable. Man, let's give God praise to the generosity of God's people. So, so here's what's happening right now. There, if you go out back, there's 25,000 square feet that's being constructed on the top of the preschool and children's building. And it will be done late spring, kind of think April-ish. Um, the brick is almost done. It's, uh, the trim will follow right after it. Window installation starts next week. The drywall is almost finished. The first coat of paint has been done. The ceiling grid and lights are currently being installed. It's on go. All right. And I think the best news is it's on budget. All right, so we praise the Lord for that. So, so now we're ready to begin work on our student building. Uh, like I told you, our students have completely outgrown their space, and frankly, it just doesn't function for them. And so we've got some pictures of what's about to begin. Guys, let's show them these renderings. So these are just artistic renderings of a new lobby. This stairwell right now, there's a wall to the right side, and they're going to open all that up. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. Uh, there'll be a nice new cafe over there for our students. Uh, there'll be like a, a lobby area and game area. There's, that's, that's, little, that's legit. There's going to be this indoor caged three-on-three basketball area, uh, and that's going to be staff meeting every Tuesday. Uh, and then we're adding in the student gym, we're adding a platform. If you were to walk in there right now, we're actually taking out that, that wall, that stage is going to be there. Uh, that'll start in the next couple of weeks. And then there's a stage kind of that would be in the flower bed outside right now. So it's outside the gym, and that would allow our student ministry to grow to over 700 students every Wednesday night. You say, well, what's happening right now? 350 to 400 kids are coming on Wednesday nights, um, and, and it's just going crazy. And so we're super excited to start in our student ministry. There's going to be all kinds of, man, game areas and technology invested into that space, and it will be incredible. In May, we're going to start to move and relocate our east entrance uh, we're, we're doing this to be a good neighbor and to make good on agreements we made with the town back in 2007 and 2008. We're in the permitting stage with the town on the project, and we agreed that it would start in May and be done by the end of the year. All right, and so there'll be some of the front buildings that we'll have to take down as a part of that process, and frankly, those front buildings need to come down, and, uh, and, and we'll kind of be working through that. There, there are two more projects that are in the divine, uh, design phase that'll begin this year. Our preschool and kids ministry lobbies, we're reworking those lobbies so that you could actually get in and out. 
Um, and, and so there'll be kind of some additional security stuff that comes further away from the doors to allow people, once they get through security, to be able to work quickly to get their child into their classroom and then uh, get, get through the area. So there'll be lots of updates to our preschool and our children's lobbies. Uh, we've got the space back there to accommodate the growth that's happening in kids' ministry and preschool ministry, but it's really hard to get people to the place they need to be. And so we're going to work on making kind of that, that work. We're going to address the first floor of F building and update it, particularly with our legacy adult, adults in mind. And so we're going to do bathroom renovations and make it to where it's more handicap accessible. We're going to man, update the paint and the floor. Um, that'll become a, kind of a space that the church uses weekdays, week in and week out, that will help us be able to host more Bible studies and more things and all the stuff. And, and so it's going to provide for us. And so these projects that we're undertaking right now for our capital campaigns are, are not projects that we're building things hoping people will come. These projects that we're participating in, these are things we're trying to do to accommodate the growth that has already come. And so like I told you, we've received just over $7 million towards this project in the last year between church and school. The total cost of the project including the move of the east east entrance which we added later is 13 million dollars so there's an opportunity for every one of us <laughs> to share so here's what i want you to do like in front of you uh in your seat rack or if you're on the front rows it's kind of down between you uh our cards just like this and so and you may say pastor i'm really passionate about another ministry and i'm going to kind of work through my finances of you know, honest work of proper management of a heart to share. And I'm probably going to give there. That's great, man. It's between you and the Lord. Like no one's inspecting this. I, I will never know what you give or, or if you give, like, I don't, I don't know those things. I don't know what anybody gives, but the idea was just to give you a tangible way to take a step in this. And we have a need to close this gap. Now we're moving forward with all these projects. We'll use this vehicle of of indebtedness if we have to, but we're excited to move. And so there's just some thoughts here. I mean, you can put your name on this card and you may want to take it home, pray about it, bring it back next week, put it in the silver boxes. You may be ready to go today. Just fill it out and put it in the silver boxes. Many of you made a one-year commitment towards this campaign and, and that commitment kind of comes due in, in March. And maybe you can just extend what you did another year. You know, you can just kind of go, hey, you know what? We were able to do this for the last year, and we're going to do it again. We're just going to go one more year in this. Maybe that's a way to be ready to share. Uh, maybe you're not helping us in our capital projects. And I want to encourage every single person. Hear, hear me now. God, you say, well, I can't write a big check. Nobody's asking you for a big check. Like, God's interested in the condition of your heart. Do you have a heart to share? You may live on a fixed income, but what can you do to share? So it's not about, like, well, is my check going to matter? Man, your $5 a month will matter. And you can't even go to Wendy's for that. You want to make a commitment, but you got some questions. Leave us an email or a phone number. We'll, we'll tell you anything you want. Like, we're not going to hide anything from you. All right, there's, there's not a culture here of secrecy, but of transparency. And so, like, we'll tell you where we're struggling, and we'll tell you where we're having advancements and seeing wins, and, and we'll tell you where the problem is. You just may not like what we tell you. The, some of our team will be out in the gathering space after the service. You're going to have some answers today, but... Our hope was just to give you an opportunity to close the gap as you understand biblical financial stewardship to the glory of God. So let's do this. Let's just bow our heads together.
And as we are considering this, you also heard the gospel today that all that we have we've received from Christ and we can never manage our finances well if it weren't for a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're one that's like, man, it just never works for me financially. I think the place to start If you feel under a curse and burden financially, I think the place to start is evaluating whether you have a relationship with Jesus. Have you personally taken responsibility of your sin through repentance? Like, have you repented of your sin? And have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Christ looks like I surrender my all to him. Let us say, Lord, take my life and use me. I'm sorry for my sin. Transform me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release. 